0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I was watching a Candid Camera TV show about 20 years ago. Have you ever seen Candid Camera? It goes by different names, but basically they hide cameras in a place And then they try to trick a member of the public into doing something embarrassing and then they show the whole world how embarrassing that was. Have you ever seen those shows? There's been some good ones. But this one was unusual. It was a man who was in his 20s or 30s, quite a well-dressed man. He goes in a big shopping mall to an ice cream counter where the ice creams are supposed to be 50p a pound, I don't know, cheap. And he orders a small ice cream and he gives 20 pound notes. And they gave him 50p in change and then just pretended like there was nothing wrong. And the camera zoomed in and they wanted to see some anger or some conflict or some embarrassment or something. You know what it's like, hey? Anyway, so the man politely said, is the ice cream 19 pounds 50? And the guy said yes and there was a moment I'm very surprised they actually showed this one on TV there was a moment where the man looked behind the counter he didn't get emotional and he just said this I don't let anybody rent space in my brain and he walked away I don't let anybody rent space in my brain. What he was saying was, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what your agenda is. But I'm not going to let my emotions and my life be controlled like puppet strings by whatever your issues are. Amen? And we've been doing a series on how our thoughts are the control center, the rudder, if you like, that control our lives. And we've looked at so many interesting things. And James did a great talk recently about how you think of yourself is so important. But now I want to talk about how we let other people's thoughts rent space in our brains. So what happens is if you imagine your brain, your life like a house, and there's a dining room, where you enjoy meeting your, your needs, your appetites. What thoughts are going in there? And then there's a study where you study and you get your truth and you get your information. What thoughts are going on there? And then there's a lounge where you relax and you entertain and you enjoy time with other people. What thoughts are going in there? And there's a hidden closet which nobody knows about. What thoughts are going on in there? If your mind is a house... A, Jesus wants to be in that house. He wants to have top position in that house. Amen. He wants to be the the control center of your thoughts. But B, we are not called to be controlled and pulled in so many directions by other people's thoughts. Or what we imagine other people are thinking about us. And so I want to talk about this today. I hope that I can get through it in one sermon. If I can't, we may split it up into several. But I want to talk about how your mind is a house of thoughts. How Jesus is supposed to be in control. And how we can, through God's power, live where we honor and love and respect other people. But they don't pull the strings in our lives. Amen. Amen. Are you looking forward to this one? It's really, it's been a revelation to me. And so, so helpful. So Revelation 3 verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That means Jesus is treating your life and your mind and your heart like a house. And He says, I don't barge into your house. I knock on the door of your house. Are you hearing his voice? Have you heard his voice? Because then he goes on to say, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. In other words, if you don't open the door, he knows it's best for you for him to be in your house. But he says, I respect you enough to open the door for me. Isn't that amazing? That's the Lord that I serve. That's the Jesus who respects people's choice and self-will enough that He says, you open the door. And He says, if you hear His voice, if you open the door, He will come in and eat with you and have fellowship with you. He wants to be in the dining room. He wants to be in that little hidden closet. He wants to be in your planning room, in every room of your house. Amen. The first challenge is, have we done that? There's a verse in 1 Peter 3 verse 15 which says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. What that's saying is not just open the door, because many of us have opened the door to Christ, but then we've put Him in a little room for Sunday mornings. We say, you can't come into my business room. No, you can't come into my friend's room. No, no, you can't come into my relaxation room. No, you can't come into my appetite and dining room. Jesus, yours is that little funny room that we just opened on a Sunday morning. And actually, 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, no, he wants to fill the house. He wants to take the house. We need to set apart Christ as Lord. That means there's a throne in your house where Jesus is supposed to sit. And the great news is if we make Him Lord, if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, then all these other things fall into place. You know, He's the best property manager around. Amen? We think, I don't know if you're like me, but in my life I've thought I know better than Jesus about what kind of job I should do, what kind of friends I should have, what kind of ways I should spend my money and my time, and He knows best. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says his plans for you. In other words, if you put him on the throne, he starts to implement his plans and it says they are good, pleasing and perfect. You couldn't make up better plans than the ones Jesus has for your life. So the first challenge, my dear friend, is have you heard? Have you opened? Have you put him on the throne of your life? Because if you do that, we're going to see today That when all these other people try to rent space in our brains. If Jesus is already on the throne. They don't get to rent space. They don't get to pull the strings. But also we learn how to respond to them in love. And the Bible speaks about us speaking with salt. It's seasoned with salt. It's tasty and it stops the rot and it creates a thirst in those people for them to want to know more about Jesus when He's on the throne. So the first way that people rent space in your brain is if He is not on the throne of your study... Your study is where you get your truth. So you you go into your study, you open up your news app on your computer and you start getting the information on what's happening in the world. And then you open up this other app that tells you about all the things that are true in the world and the things that are not true. And then you open up this other gossip app that tells you what everyone thinks about you and what everyone thinks is true. And when you put him on the throne, In the study of your life, you say, there's a verse in Psalm 119, verse 128. I'm going to say it very clearly and slowly because I want you to get this. It talks about putting Jesus on the throne of the study of your life. It says, All your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. Let me say that again. All your precepts, God, Concerning all things I consider to be right. Lord, you are Lord in the study room of my life. And I can listen to this news app. And I can listen to this app and this gossip app and all these different things of all the information that the world gives me. But because Jesus is sitting on the throne and because I've said, Lord, all your precepts are considered to be right. Everything filters through him. And I'm no longer pulled and swayed by wrong teaching and wrong ideas. Ephesians 4. I think it's it's verse 13, 14 or 15. It says, we should not be swayed by every wind of doctrine. And by the cunning deceitfulness of evil men. It talks about these winds of of thoughts and ideas that are always blowing us. There are so many ideas that are trying to blow you off track. And when we put ourselves in the right place with Jesus on the throne of our study in our minds, in our hearts. We say, Lord, all your precepts are right. Please would you protect my mind. When I hear that idea, when I hear that person saying that when I read that news article when I hear the world going mad you know the Bible says we should not call conspiracy everything that everyone calls conspiracy there's a steadiness to a Christian he goes like a ship that's just steady he's not blown this way and then that way and then that way and that. he's steady as he goes because he's not blown by all these crazy emotional ideas or even clever sounding ideas so that's the first thing is that Jesus is in the study. He's on the throne. But then the second thing I want to mention is that He does want us to treat other people in a certain way. You see, there's a danger that we say, Jesus is the captain of my ship. Jesus is telling me where to go. Therefore, I don't care about anyone else. I don't care what you say. I don't care what they say. I don't care. I'm just going and I'm like putting my fingers in my ears and going, no, 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 I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. We can get to the point where we think it means I must just ignore the rest of the world. But actually, when Jesus is on the throne of the hallway in my life. So the hallway is the way that I interact with people who come into my life. People knock on the door and I've already let Jesus through the door. But now other people come in and they say, hi, how are you? I've got this thought. I've got this idea. The government comes in and they say, you must pay your taxes. You must obey these rules. You must do these things with your family and children. This this is the way you must live. The government comes into the hallway and I say, Jesus, what do I do? And he says, am I on the throne in the hallway of your life? I say, yes, Lord. He says, right, these are the rules. Number one, you listen to your government authorities. Romans chapter 30. He says, listen to them, pay taxes, obey them. I say, but Lord, what if they, what if they tell me to do something that I don't, I don't like? He says, the only time you can say no... Is when their instructions go against my word. But be willing to pay the penalty of whatever uh, imprisonment or fine or whatever they want to put on you. If you do break those rules. That's what he says about the government authorities. So in Acts chapter 4. Peter and the apostles are healing and preaching. And the, and the government authorities call them in. They say stop preaching in Jesus name. And they say, we must obey God rather than you. Because they were telling them to do something that was against God's word. But there are other times. You know, I don't particularly like paying tax. But I must. Because God's word says I must. And there are many, many things where God says, obey your authorities. Because God is using them even though they don't acknowledge Him. When Paul wrote Romans 13... Nero was the, the Caesar, the governor, and Nero was a terribly corrupt leader. And yet Paul said, obey the government authorities. Unless it goes directly against something that God has said in his word we must do. Is that okay? So the hallway, what else? What about what about other people? What about needy people or or just people around us? How are we supposed to treat them? Are we supposed to just ignore them? Say, I'm on my own ship with Jesus as the captain. I don't need anybody. No. He says love people. Doesn't he? Love. Forgive. Serve people. Love them. Give of your time. Give of your heart. Give of your emotions. Love people. What about
1: church leaders?
0: Hebrews 13 verse 7 says this. Remember those who rule over you. So I'm supposed to let them into the house of my mind. I'm supposed to remember. Put them in my mind. Remember means think about. Remember those who rule over you. And he's talking about church leaders. Who have spoken the word of God to you. Whose faith follow. Considering the outcome of their conduct. What's he saying there? He's saying consider, judge, test the fruit of their lifestyle. Consider the outcome of their conduct. That means this leader says this, but how has it played out in their life with their kids, with their family, with their finances, with their health, with their relationships with other people, with their ministry? Test the fruit and then imitate or follow or copy their faith. In other words, when I see something that's not quite right, because I promise you in every leader, there will be a lot of things that are not right. He says, what do you do with those? Well, you don't judge and criticize and beat them for their mistakes. You just say, I'm going to imitate the good. I'm going to take the bones out and just eat what's good and imitate their faith. But those things that are not so good, I'm going to put to one side, but I'm going to love them and support them. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, love them, love your leaders. So we can see that Jesus, when he's on the throne, he doesn't say ignore other people. But he just says, let me be the leader about how you deal with other people. And now I want to talk about some really heartfelt things. previous words that people have said to you. The ways that people can rent space in your brain. You know, I promise you that you hear the voice of your parents or maybe a teacher or maybe somebody who was an authority over you when you were little. You hear their voice regularly, at least once a week. When you're about to do something, when you're about to react in a certain way, you hear your mom or your dad or somebody saying something in your, in your ears. Because the words that other people have said, especially people who are close to us, rent space in our brain. Don't they? Now what am I saying? Am I saying we must ignore their words? No. Listen to what this, the Bible teaches. He says, put Jesus first. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. And then all of those words get filtered through something that God has made and it makes it beautiful so if there are curses what is a curse you say a curse is when somebody pronounces something bad on you they say you will never amount to anything you're a lazy no good your brother's better than you you are ugly you'll never get married those are curses what does the Bible say about those Proverbs 26 verse 2 says like a flittering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse will never come to rest. You say, but is it deserved? The answer is you put Jesus on the throne of that room. And you say, Jesus, was that word right? What do you say about it, Lord? And there's an amazing verse in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13, which says this Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When Jesus hung on the cross, you know, it wasn't just physical beating that he took, it wasn't just the whip. It wasn't just the thorns in his head. It wasn't just the fists and the sticks on his face. It wasn't just the nails through his hands and his feet. It wasn't just the spear in his side. He was receiving the rejection of the leaders of Israel, of the religious people, of everyone around him, including his closest friends. Judas and Peter denied him. And Jesus took a curse. The Bible says he took every curse so that you and I don't deserve any curses anymore. Isn't that amazing? And when you put Jesus first in your house, when you set him apart on a throne in the house of your thoughts, whenever that curse comes to mind, you say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you took the curse so that I can receive the blessing. And then you you have that little thought, but do I deserve it? Am I a failure? He says, you don't deserve anything. An undeserved curse will not come to rest because I have taken it and I've blessed you. You know, a curse is like putting a mark on somebody and saying they will always fail. But a blessing is like putting a mark on someone and saying they will succeed. And God puts a blessing on you because you put him first in that place of those words that are echoing in the house of your life. Starting to get a little bit close to our hearts now. What about their opinions and their approval? Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man is a little phrase in the Bible which means this I am so worried about what other people think about me. Have you ever had people renting space in your brain because you are so desperate to please them? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a group of peers or friends. Maybe it's a family member. And you're so worried. And the, what's happened is that place, I don't know what you want to call it. If it's, Let's just say it's, it's your fashion sense. I'm trying to put myself in the brain of a teenager. You've you got to school or to social events and everyone's wearing the latest trainers whatever the latest is and this make of trousers and this type of t-shirt and this type of phone and and the way they look is just so amazing and you're saying i want to fit in i want to fit in and so you go to the fashion room in your house and you say lord i want to fit in and the choice comes do you want to put them on the throne of that room or do you want to put jesus And Jesus says, it's okay to dress cool, but don't let it pull a string on your heart. I control your life and I have best plans for you. And as long as He comes first, you can look as cool as cool can be, but you're not pulled around by the nose by these people where they say, do this, do that. Because you know, after clothing, Comes the next thing, take the substance, sleep with that person, swear like this, act like this, do these things. And if I put Jesus on the throne for the little things, he'll be on the throne for the big things. Amen? Amen. Don't let somebody rent space in your brain. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. You know what a snare is? A snare is something that looks nice. An animal goes past a snare and there's a little bit of food there or, or something that attracts it. And it looks harmless. But before the animal knows it, it's gone a little bit too far. It's spent a little bit too long. And the jaws of that snare have clamped around its leg. And it's trapped for life. And if we let people decide what is right for us, it's a snare that will lead us to death. But good news. Good news. Jesus sets us free from the fowler's snare, the Bible says. Hallelujah. You know, we as Christians can be trendsetters instead of trend followers. Did you know that? The one thing I've learned, and it's taken me 30 years since being a teenager to realize this. But the group will respect you if you know where you're going and if you stand up for something that's right. And they may not admit it, but they'll respect you. And they'll come to you later and they'll say, please help me with this. If you're a trendsetter, Christians should be the ones who know where we're going and we set the trends. Right, next one. I'm going to talk about some imaginary rooms. Expectation room. This is a meeting room in your house. We're talking about people renting space in your brain. You can create a meeting room in your house called the expectation room. What is that room? It's when you have a demand or a requirement on how other people should be acting or treating you or doing something. And you create a room without them knowing about it. So marriage is the big one in this. Whenever people want to get married... We speak to them beforehand and I've got a 13-page questionnaire which asks every question that I can think of that may come up in life. And I ask them both to answer it independently and then compare notes because I want them to know what the other one expects. Amen? You know, honeymoon is supposed to be the most amazing time at the beginning of your marriage. But it is the most painful time for more than half of marriages because they both have an expectation. They've dreamed about their honeymoon, never talked to each other about it. And when they get there, they have different expectations. And so they don't. What happens is the wife has this room in her house in her mind of what honeymoon's going to be like. The husband has this room and he's painted it and decorated it. And neither of them attends the other one's meeting. Why do I say attends the other one's meeting? Expectation. Failure. Happens when I make an appointment in my mind about what you're going to do. I never tell you what that appointment is. I put it in my calendar. You don't know about it. So you don't come to the appointment. And an appointment that is missed is a disappointment. And my life is full of disappointments. Because I've created all these rooms of expectation. This is how my boss should act. This is how my wife should act. This is how my children should act. This is how they should act. They should act. They should act. And I've got all these imaginary rooms decorated and painted in my house. And nobody comes. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, I'm disappointed. And the answer is to say, Lord, what do you say my expectations should be of others? Let me put Jesus in that room. And he says, you love people. You serve people, even if they're not going to give you anything back. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100% from you, even if there's not 100% coming back. You give the 100. You serve. You don't expect. You don't demand. You don't require. You know, business people have often spoken to me about the difference between Being a boss in a business as opposed to being a leader in a church. And the main difference I always discuss with them is that in a business, you can require someone to be at a meeting. Because if they don't, you give them a disciplinary black mark on their name. And if they do it a second time, you give them a warning. And the third time, they're fired. But in the body of Christ, we can require nothing of anyone. It's fully voluntary. And it's a beautiful thing. Because it causes me to humble my heart and say, you know what? I can speak my hopes to you. I can ask you to do things. I can say what the Bible says. But at the end of the day, just like Jesus doesn't force you to open the door, I can't force anyone to do anything. And I can't judge you if you don't. Because I don't know what's going on in your heart. Amen? There's freedom in that, folks. Can you see how we let expectations, appointment rooms, rent space in our brains? Amen? So another imaginary room is when I don't know all the facts, but I jump to conclusions. (laughs) So what happens is, I'm letting you rent space at my brain because I've created a narrative. I see my brother at church on Sunday morning and he's looking at me a little bit weird. And I start painting a room in my house about what I think is going on in his head. Have you ever done that? Why did he look at me like that? And did you see how his hand moved from his pocket to his other pocket? What's going on there? Oh, And remember the other day how he looked at. It? Oh! And remember then there was that other, th- and you start creating links that don't exist. Has anyone ever done this? Yeah. Friends, can I just say to you, we waste time, and we waste emotional energy. On something that may never happen and may not be true. There's a verse that I'm going to show you in a moment where Paul says to the Corinthians. In fact, let me go there right now. So Paul was the apostle who started the Corinthian church. After he left the Corinthian church, another leader came in called Apollos. And um, he was a great guy. And Paul and Apollos were friends. But the people started pitting Paul against Apollos. And some were saying, I'm on Paul's side. And some were saying, I'm on Apollos' side. And then a new faction sprung up saying, I'm on Peter's side. Paul, Apollos, Peter. Our, our leader better than your leader. Our leader is better. And they were saying all these things. And they wrote a letter to Paul where they made a whole lot of accusations and they said you're not as good as apollos and peter they called them the super apostles because you're not eloquent when you speak you're not wise you say you're going to come and then you change your mind you ask us for money Uh, they, they had all these criticisms of paul and apollos and they had judged paul's motives they thought Paul was, I don't know, they they just thought he had bad motives. Have you ever been judged? Have you ever had people guess what your motives were and they didn't know? They thought they knew what was going on in your mind? So verse 3 says this. This is Paul speaking. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. What is Paul saying there? He's saying you guys are trying to set yourselves up on a throne as the judge in my head. You're trying to rent space in my brain and you're trying to decide what my motives and thoughts are. He says I'm not going to let you rent space in my brain. It's a very small thing to me if you judge me. Your opinion of me is it's not nothing but it's small. Or any human court. So we have this new room in our houses called the courtroom. You have it. The courtroom is where you make judgments about yourself and about other people. So it's not a room that we would normally expect in our houses but I promise you you have it. You have a room where judgments are made. Moral judgments. Judgments of right and wrong but also of who's better than who. And am I better than them? And are they better than me? And should they have done this? And moral judgments. And the problem is we set ourselves up on that throne, that judge chair. And we hit our gavel and we say guilty, guilty, guilty. Or we let other people tell us who's guilty and who's not. And God says, I'm the judge. Listen to what Paul says next. He says, for I know nothing against myself yet I'm not justified by this but he who judges me is the Lord you see the problem is if you put yourself up in that seat in in your house you're asking for trouble because the Bible says with the judgment you use it will be judged upon you if you start to set the rules about who's right and who's wrong and who's better than someone else God says okay I want to be the judge, but if you're going to be the judge, let's see what a good job you do. But the rules you use on others, they'll be applied to you. And suddenly I think, oh, okay. Oops, that was a bit of an error. And Paul had got to the place where he says, God is the judge in my judge room. He judges me and he tells me I'm loved. So I don't care what you think. And God tells me how to judge other people. Listen to what he says next therefore judge nothing before the time what's the time it's the end of time the judgment day when Jesus comes and judges the whole world until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts another version says the motives of your hearts what he's saying is do not judge do not guess do not even try and go into a room called what someone else is thinking. Hallelujah. How freeing that is. He says if I'm on the seat of judgment in your, in your life, you have no right to try and guess what someone else is thinking or their motives on why they've done something. I watched a little YouTube video recently where there was a guy filming a skateboarder and the skateboarders coming down the the side of the road and the cameraman's going there. And all you see is the skateboarder put his hand on the cameraman's camera and push him out of the way as if he's angrily saying, don't film me. And this went viral. And in fact, this isn't the only case. There was a recent case in America where a young boy was put on the news as being a racist and everything. And when you saw the whole context of the video, it wasn't actually true, but then So everyone saw this video of the skateboarder pushing the cameraman out of the way. And then somebody found some other footage from a a street camera, you know, a CCTV camera, where they showed the whole scene. And what happened was there was a garbage truck coming. The cameraman hadn't seen, but it was going to hit him on the head. And the skateboarder was protecting him and getting him out of the way so that he'd be safe. Proverbs 25, verse 8 in the Message Bible says this. Don't jump to conclusions. There may be a perfectly good explanation for what you just saw. <laughs> we don't rent space in other people's brains. And because of that, we don't let them rent space in our brains. There is freedom in saying, "I'm not." when, when Jesus is the judge, I say, I'm not judging your motives and thoughts and heart. But also, I don't care if you judge mine. It's a small thing to me if you judge me. Amen? It's a small thing. I'm not going to let it worry me. Let me just read on there. 1 Corinthians 4. Just finish off that little passage there. So, let me read the whole passage. With me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact I do not even judge myself for I know nothing against myself yet I'm not justified by this but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels or the motives of people's hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. God is looking to be able to praise us Verse six. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. He's saying, I'm making an object lesson of myself and Apollos, but this applies to you too. He's saying, you've been judging me and Apollos, and I'm wanting to show you that when you get it right by not judging me, it'll set you free from being judged by everybody else and worrying about what everyone else is thinking and making up Ideas of what they're thinking about you. I've applied this to me for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. He says we mustn't go beyond what is written. There are some things that are plain and written. The Bible is one of them. This letter that he was writing was another one. He says, just trust what I've written in my word, in my letter, without trying to read meaning between the lines or behind the words or motive. Just go with what I've said. But it also applies to the plainness of actions. Do you remember that verse I quoted earlier where I said, We should remember our leaders and we should imitate their faith and the outcome of their conduct. The things they've done and said, not the hidden things we made up. They were thinking behind the things they did and they said. We judge people based on what can be seen and clearly, obviously seen to everybody. Rather than guessing on the hidden, secret things behind. Amen? Right. And then, lastly. The last little room we've got is we've got prisons. We've allowed people to rent space in our brains because we've got prisons that are waiting for somebody to be punished for something they did to us. And I want to tell you that prison is empty because you are not the judge, you're not the jury, and you are not the prison master of somebody else. God is. And if there's going to be a prison, it's not going to be in your heart. God is going to sort it out. And He is the only one who's able to sort it out. Because He's the only one who really knows all the facts. Amen? Amen. And many of us, myself included, have got prisons in our hearts. You say, I haven't got a prison in my heart. You know what it is? You've gone to court in your own brain. And in the dock is that person... That parent, that ex-spouse, that boss, that thief, whatever it is, that person who did you wrong. They're sitting there in the dock. You've judged them. You think you know all the facts and you don't. You've guessed what their motives were and you don't know. You've said, I sentence you, and now I'm creating a little prison for you, and now I'm going to sit here and wait with happiness until you walk into the prison that I've created for you. And that person says... It's a small thing to me. I don't don't care if you judge me. And we've allowed them to rent space in our brains. And many of us are making decisions in life. I will never trust another dentist, for example. I I will never trust another man. I will never go to that place. I will never do that. We're making big decisions and blocking off huge areas of our lives based on judgments we've made and prison cells we've created. And God says this, friends let me be the judge. Let me deal with them. You're not qualified and it's not your job. Let me judge. I'll sort it out, God says. I'm fair. You can release them. It's called forgiveness. And God says, just write across that piece of paper that that judgment paper that you wrote and said they have done wrong and they deserve to pay this right across that paid in full which is the words that Jesus shouted on the cross when he died tetelestai it's the Greek word it means paid in full or it is finished Jesus paid it in full not just for you but so that you could pass it on to those who've hurt you and when you do that suddenly these imaginary rooms that have been gathering so much space in your brain, they just disappear. Poof, they're gone. And there's freedom. And there's light. And there's life. And you say, I'm free because you thought they were in chains, but you were the one in chains. You were stuck. You know when, you know when there's a car traffic accident and somebody bashes into your car and they've done wrong, but the police say the hearing for this is going to be in two and a half months' time. You have to be ready for the hearing to come and testify. I don't know if you've ever been in that circumstance. They say, yes, you were, you were not at fault. However, we need you to testify about this case. And so be ready. It's in two and a half months' time. You mustn't leave town. You must stay. You must get your, your testimony ready and rehearse it in your mind. And so you're staying and you're waiting for justice to be done. Friends, many of us are staying and waiting for a court date on something that was done to you. And God says, you're not required to testify. I know all the facts. You don't have to rehearse what went wrong again and again and again in your mind. You don't have to wait here and, you know, you can move on with your life. You don't have to be stuck in this city waiting for the court date. Be free. God's got it under control. And the judge is trustworthy and righteous. And he'll sort it out. And you are free to move on. And I told you the story of Paul. The result of Paul being free. Not letting anyone rent space in his brain except Jesus. The result of that was Paul was free to love, to serve, to give. And a little person who really shouldn't have been used by the Lord as much as he was, changed the whole course of history, wrote most of the New Testament, planted churches, brought life and forgiveness to thousands, millions of people because he said, I'm not going to let other people rent space in my brain. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.